The scripture reading today is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have the Black Pew Bible in front of you, it's page 1134. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. It says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you, and you are arrogant. Ought you not to be rather... Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that... A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Cleanse out the old leaven, then you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual morality or greed or is an idler, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with you judging? For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. First Corinthians chapter 5. A friend of mine was telling me this week at their, um, at their gathering, there was a, a new family that was visiting. And um, they had a, this family had a school-age child, and that child was very distracting. And he was acting out and uh, drawing attention to himself. And, and my friend was appalled that they would have this church um, get-together Bible study. And the parents were not willing to discipline their children. They refused uh, to correct their child. And, and when that happens, what do we think uh, about those parents? We think, well, maybe they need to do a little bit better job of disciplining their children. See, I say that now because we're not going to have any problems with children during the service right today. No, actually, we're, we, when we, we see people who don't discipline their children, their children are a little unruly. We think maybe a little bit less than the parents. But what about the church? What about when you have a church, um, a, a group of believers, body of believers together, but what happens when someone in the church goes wayward and they say that they're a believer, but they're not living like a believer, and the church does nothing. Do we not also think less of the church? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, he's addressing this church that he started on a second missionary journey. And Paul is the spiritual father of this church, and he's writing a letter to help de-Corinthianize the church here in Corinth. In chapters 1 through 6, Paul is pointing out problems in the church. The first few chapters, there's a lot of division. And he really wants to help the church. In chapters 4 
verse 14, Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So Paul has an affection for this church. He has a relationship with his church, and he wants to help the church. But here in chapter 5, there's an individual who is sexually immoral in the church, and the church wasn't doing anything about it, like the parent who fails to call out their child. And not only that, but they not only were they not doing anything about it, but they were actually proud of their not doing anything about it. They were proud of their tolerance. They saw themselves maybe as being a loving church, an accepting church, a tolerant church. As I was working at a restaurant waiting tables, I said I, when I went back to school, I wanted to get my master's and, and study theology. And I wanted to wait tables because I like to talk to everybody, and I thought that would be a, a, a good way to make money. And so I did that for five years and loved it. But the environment was pretty pagan. It was pretty heinous and terrible. And the people I worked with were pretty vile and obnoxious and sinful. And one, one guy in particular, he, he became a friend of mine, but he was very pagan, didn't love the Lord, didn't say he loved the Lord. But one thing he did do is he, worked, he watched church every night on TV. And so we would get off about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and we'd go home, and usually I would bring something from the restaurant home to eat, and, and I would uh, sit down. I, we didn't have any kind of cable or anything like that, but I would turn the little TV on, and there was always a, a, a church service on it, Joel Osteen's church. And they were having a special service this one night. And the reason I watched that TV program, once to just give me something to do while I ate to kind of wind down. But another thing is this buddy of mine, who was not a believer, who watched this program every night, would, would want to talk about it the next day because I was in divinity school and seminary. He knew that, and so he wanted to bounce things, things off of me. And so it gave us things to talk about. It gave me, gave me opportunities to speak truth into his life. And so I was watching it, and, and the mother of the pastor came forward. It was a special service they were doing, like a 25-year anniversary or something. And she said these words. She says, you know, we're not like all these other churches. And she kept saying that. She said, you know, we're not like all these other churches. We're not like all these other churches. And she finally said why they're not like or how they're not like all the other churches. She says, we're not like all the other churches. We don't tell you that you're a sinner and you're going to hell. Time out for a second. For everybody here, if you're a sinner, you're going to hell. Sinners go to hell. People who sin go to hell, and God will pour out his wrath on you for all eternity. So I'm just going to tell you that. Now, there's good news, right? Jesus came 2,000 years ago, took on flesh. He lived a life for us that we could never live, a perfect life. He wants to give you, sinner, that perfect life. He wants to give you his perfect record. And not only that, but he died on a cross, on a cruel cross. He died a terrible death where he, he died physically, and the, and the Father poured out his wrath upon the Son. And the Son, he received the punishment that we all deserve. He died, he was buried, on the third day he rose from the, the grave for our justification so that you and I could not be sinful, but we could be just. We could be righteous before God and we could have a relationship with God. That's the great news. Bad news, you're sinful, you're going to hell. Good news, Jesus died so that you could escape the wrath you deserve. Receive the righteousness of God and be in, in glory with God forever. That's the good news. All right, back to the story. <clears throat> This church was, was really proud and excited that they were not like other churches and that they didn't tell people they were going to hell. Now, the problem with that is we have to be grieved before we can repent. 
We have to have godly sorrow before we can turn from our sin and, and trust Christ's work on the cross as our own. So they got it all wrong. This church is proud that they're tolerant, that they're accepting, that they make you feel good and not feel bad. And that's what's going on in Corinth. Several thousand years ago. Paul's writing about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Corinthian church was tolerant when they needed to be correcting. Instead of pointing out sin, rebuking a brother, they turn the other way and act like they didn't see it. Or worse yet, they said, well, hey, we don't, we don't, we don't condemn people. We don't look down on folks. We don't point fingers at, at people. We accept everybody. We accept everybody, don't we? We just don't accept everybody's sin, everybody's behavior. The Corinthian church was proud because they were tolerant. What we're going to see today in our text is the need for church discipline. Why we administer church discipline. Or sometimes it's called excommunication, which means put people out of the church. Next week we're going to see the we're going to look at another text, and from that text we'll learn how to do that as a church. And we'll learn about how Beaver as a church is going to do that in, in, in the next coming weeks or months. So today is the why, and next week it's the how. Okay. So what do we learn from our text today? Well, number one, I know this is kind of a heavy deal. It's kind of heavy, and it should be heavy. If it's not heavy, something's wrong with your heart. This is kind of a heavy deal. There's someone in the church who says they're a believer, but yet they're not living like a believer. And this church is not doing anything about it. They're just kind of turning the other cheek and looking the other way. And they're proud that they're looking the other way and they're accepting and they're loving and they're not condemning. But Paul says that's not right. And that we're going to learn why that is here. And the first thing we learn in our text is that we're commanded as a church to make judgments about sin. I right, look at the first three verses. Here there's a man, we've already read this text, there's a man who most likely, we don't know exactly all the details, but it looks like his, his, uh, maybe his mother had passed away, his dad had remarried, and then his dad had passed away, and so he had taken his stepmother to be his own wife. And it doesn't look like this, like the one-time deal, it's like an ongoing thing, because he says he, he has her. Yeah, kind of Jerry Springer is, right? Kind of, that's terrible. Why is that in the Bible? I wish we wouldn't even bring that. Yeah, everybody's face, everybody's going like, this is just terrible. And yeah, and you rightly so, you should be going, oh, this is terrible. Because Paul says, lost people, pagan, Gentiles, they don't even do this garbage. They don't even live like this. So how in the world is somebody in your church living like this? And not only that, but they're proud. They're proud of their tolerance. Now, the, the most misquoted verse in the Bible probably is what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matthew 7. We just went through the Sermon on the Mount. We just finished that up a few weeks ago. Judge not that you be not judged. And we misquote that and misuse that. And usually when we, we quote that verse, it's when we don't want somebody telling us that we're wrong, right? But then that's Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. But then the following verses, let me read them for you. 
says this, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus doesn't say not to point out sin. He's just addressing how we do that. It's like when you're pointing out sin, I'm pointing to Karen, I'm pointing out sin in Karen's life. I've got to remember there's three fingers pointing back at me, right? Don't be critical. Don't be harsh. But Jesus doesn't say don't point out sin. In fact, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is rebuking them for not making judgment calls about sin. And we see that throughout the, the scriptures, throughout the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6, we've got a bunch of them we're going to throw up here if you take a note. Galatians 6.1 tells us to make judgments about sin. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, transgression is just another word for sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So we should restore somebody. We should point it out to them. Annabeth, that's wrong. You shouldn't live that way, but you do it gently. And we, we talked about in our math class, if you're, if you're viewing it, watching us via Facebook Live, I'll encourage you, if you, you feel like it's okay, I would love for you to come to a small group. We have a mask-only class uh, on Sunday mornings. We met in the house this morning. Hopefully next week we'll be back in the Family Life Center. But we talked about that, about how we have, we're to have tact. We studied the book of Philemon. We're to have tact. You know, we point out one another's sin, but we do it tactfully. We do it gently. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. There's other verses too uh, all throughout the, the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, right? Point it out, right? Okay. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. But how do you admonish the idle? You just point out, hey, right? I have to point those things out. 2 Thessalonians 3.14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Yeah. 1 Peter 5.19-20, do not admit a charge against an elder, a pastor, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin... Those pastors who persistently live in sin, right, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So we see these all throughout the scriptures. We, we need to make judgments about sin, don't we? We need to point those things out. But we, we, we do it rightly. We do it tactfully and lovingly and mercifully and graciously. But we do it. Just like a parent, you make judgment calls about your child's sin and you point those things out, right, their behavior. We do the same in the church. Now, in this case, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, this person's sin necessitated him to be removed from the church, otherwise known as excommunication. And Paul, he says that. He just needs, you need to remove him from the church. And so you may be thinking, well, for, for what sins do we discipline? Should church discipline be exercised? All right, so how bad do you have to be before you get kicked out of the church kind of deal, right? What, shen, what sins should be addressed? Well, it, it's got to be noted in the, you should take note that the text doesn't command believers to address every single sin they may witness or every time someone sins against you, right? 
I mean, you have to remember, all believers, we're, we're imperfect, aren't we? We're, we fall daily in some type of behavior attitude that's sinful, right? All day, we're sinful, and all day, what do we do? We live lives of repentance, right? We repent all the time because we're not like Christ in every way, in behavior, in attitude, in emotion. In fact, a lot of us, are, we struggle every day. We're aware of our sin, aren't we? And we struggle with it. And to have someone else point out, oh, you did this, you did this, you did this. Man, I know it, dude. I'm struggling with it. Pray for me, right? So sometimes to point sin out in someone's life does more harm than good. They know it. They're struggling with it. Pray for them. Encourage them, right? Don't kick them while they're down. And there's also times where there's, there's issues in the, the Scriptures that aren't very clear. Like Romans chapter 14, there's some things that, we not, that aren't real clear in Scripture. Maybe we just disagree about them. Well, we, we, we give tolerance and grace there, don't we? So we don't necessarily need to point those things out. And we're told in Colossians chapter 3, 13, bear with each other. Well, that's kind of like put up with each other, right? Bear with each other. Yeah, Michael, she doesn't point out every stupid thing I do, every sinful thing I do, every sinful attitude. I don't do the same with her. You know, we work together. We don't, we don't do that all the time. No, we bear with each other. I know Michael. She knows me. We know each other pretty well, right? We don't have to bring all that up all the time. Now, there's times we do. Hey, check your attitude. Hey, let's think about this this way, da-da-da. But, yeah, we bear with each other. Scripture tells us to overlook an offense, Proverbs 19.11. It's to your glory to overlook an offense. Yeah, sometimes we let that thing go. Sometimes Stacy, she just lets it go. She don't point, to, point it out to Chris, you know, her husband. She just lets things go because she knows Chris, right? Yeah. Love covers a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4 eight, right? Sometimes we just, we love, we let that thing go just because we love them. We know they struggle and we just love them. And we just overlook that. We don't have to bring that up every single time they do it. But what church discipline seeks to address and correct is persistent unbelief and sin. It's publicly known sin that brings reproach on the name of Christ. So the one that we discipline as a church has made a truce with sin and is at peace with it. They're okay with it. They're like, yeah, I've been living this life, just, just total rebellion against the Lord, but it's all right. It's not a big deal. No, we as Christians, we sin, but we battle with it, don't we? We don't give in, and we, we're not at home with it. We don't feel good about it. Wayne Grudem, he, he says this. Uh, he says, All the sins that were explicitly disciplined in the New Testament were publicly known or outwardly evident sins, and many of which had continued over a period of time. I think that's important. The fact that the sins were publicly known meant that the reproach was being brought on the church. Christ was being dishonored, and there was a real possibility that others will be encouraged to follow the wrongful pattern of life that was being publicly tolerated. See, as a church, we have to make judgments about sin in each other's lives, not being nitpicky or critical, bearing with one another. But when one professes to be a believer and they're obstinate and they're unrepentant of blatant sin, discipline should occur within the church. The best way I understand, or the best way to describe church discipline is like this. Baptism. Think about baptism. What is baptism? Now, what's happening? We're going to baptize somebody. I'll bring somebody to the church, and I'll, I'll um, ask the church to, that we baptize this person. Now, what we've done, we've, we, we don't know their heart. 
because only the Lord knows our heart. We don't know if this person is a believer or not. But based on their profession of faith and their fruit in their life, we say, no, I see a, a difference in this person's life. They have a testimony. They love the Lord. They love the things of the Lord. And so based on that evidence, we make a judgment. We say, we're going to baptize you. And we baptize this person. And what they do, they identify with Christ. They're saying, I, I'm a, I'm, my old way of life, the way I used to live is dead, and now I want to walk in the newness of life. I want to follow Jesus all my days. And it's, it's a public profession of faith. And so as a church, when we baptize someone, what are we doing? We're putting our stamp of approval on that person. We're saying, we believe this person is a believer, and we're going to stand behind them and beside them, and we're going to help them. But church discipline, which is, is taking place in 1 Corinthians 5, is the opposite of that. You have a brother who says they're a believer, but they're living in open, blatant sin that, that didn't, wasn't just a one-time hiccup in their life, but it was, it's a blatant rebellion, stiff-arming the Word of God and the Lord, but they say they're a believer. And so what the church in, in, in Corinth is going to do, is commanded to do, and what we should do as a church is sometimes, unfortunately, we have to take our stamp of approval off that person and say, we don't know that person's heart. We can't know for sure if they're a believer or not. But right now, they're not living like a believer. And so what we're doing is we're saying they're not living like a believer, and we don't think they're a believer if they persist in this sin. For me, that makes it a little more clear. But the church is commanded to remove those supposed Christians who are at present not following Jesus. It's commanded in the Scriptures. The second thing we learn from this text, 1 Corinthians 13, I mean 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1 through 13, is that for the sinner's sake, why do we do it? It's for the sinner's sake. The church should discipline unrepentant sinners so that the sinner can live. Look at verse 4 and 5. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present. Now, that's difficult. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Maybe he's saying, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm there thinking about you. Maybe it's like whatever you do, I'm, I, I'm, I'm behind you 100%. Maybe that's what that means. My spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul, he kind of pulls rank here. He says, you need to remove this guy from your church. And remember, this isn't a humble, repentant brother who's struggling over sin. You know, who's, a, who's an alcoholic who from time to time falls off the wagon and just is broken over it. No, this is a person who is obstinate in rebellion against the Lord, saying, I'm not going to do what the Lord wants to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And this is over time, right? He's saying, I love the Lord, but his life says otherwise. And we see that this discipline is, is, is for his own good. Deliver this man over to Satan means you're removing from the church. I think what, what he's saying here, he states metaphorically um, what he already said literally in verse 2 and verse, what he'll say in verse 13. That means remove them from the church. I mean, Satan, what is he called? He's called the ruler of the world. And what are you doing? You're putting him out there saying, you want to be a part of the world, live like the world, okay? Be a part of the world. Let he and everyone know that you don't believe that they are believers or living like a believer and they're not a part of the church any longer. And we see Paul doing this several times. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Hymenaeus and Alexander were removed from the church because of their unrepentant blasphemy. 
And so what happens if you remove this person from the church, you hand them over to Satan, what happens is they find themselves outside the church no longer welcome. What you're doing is you're withholding fellowship from them. Now we'll talk about the how, how that works out and plays out next week. But in, in some cases, he, he, he may come to the church from time to time, but he's no longer welcome to take the Lord's Supper. Because we're saying Lord's Supper is for believers. You're not welcome to take the Lord's Supper because of your behavior. You're, not a, you're acting like a, a non-believer. He's no longer treated like a, a brother among brothers and sisters. And when he is seen and approached, he'll be treated much like an unbeliever where his sin and, and call for repentance is, is brought up. We'll talk more about that next week. And, and what you do is when, when you do that, you're placing them in a very dangerous position, being vulnerable to Satan's attacks. Satan is a destroyer. He's seeking like a lion, right? Seeking whom he may devour. And really what you're doing is you're giving this person over to their own delights. It's not a pretty picture and it's not something we take lightly. But what we're doing is simply giving the unrepentant sinner what he has chosen. When we discipline someone, you think it just confirms a choice that the the unrepentant sinner has already made. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that, 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 that Satan has power over the souls of believers. That's not true. Remember when Job was attacked by Satan. You know, he couldn't affect his soul, right? But physically he was attacked where his body was attacked and his possessions were taken, right? Because we know the soul of a believer belongs entirely to Christ and we have assurance that the person who's a believer will be saved, right? But this unrepentant sinner who may or may not be a believer, we'll call them supposed Christian, they're turned over to possibly suffer greatly at the hands of the enemy. You remember, we, we've seen this before. Where have we seen that happen before? The ring a bell? 1 Corinthians 11. The same church, believers were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. What happened? Yeah, that some of them they got sick, and then some people actually had died because they're taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So, yeah. And, and some people would, would say that, that you turn them over to Satan means that, that, that maybe physically they'll, they'll perish, and that, that could happen, possibly. That'll be, food, that'll be something to discuss in your small groups. But what's the goal? Look at verse 5. The goal is that they may be. Their, their flesh may be destroyed again. Is that talking about just their giving in to sin or is that talking about physical death? So that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What's the, the goal? The goal is repentance. That this person, if they're a believer, they persevere in faith. If they're not a believer, that they'll repent, right? So that they may be saved. So I, th I believe this, this discipline of this supposed Christian is, is actually a loving act. It's a means of grace the Lord uses to get one's attention and bring them back to the Lord, right? I mean, think about pain teaches, doesn't it? That's why we spank our children, if you're a spanker. I'm a spanker and a proponent of it, if needed, if needed. Not all children need it, but most do. But pain teaches us, doesn't it? The prodigal, what did the prodigal learn from? Did he learn from the loving father being sweet to him? 
No, he learned from slopping the daggum hogs. That's what he learned from. Going hungry. That's what he learned from. That's what got his attention, right? Yeah. Those who are believers who are under discipline, they're going to be like a fish out of water. And what's going to happen? There's no joy. There's no peace. And the, hopefully the result is the person having their flesh destroyed and them repenting and coming to their senses, right? I think one of the characteristics of the church is, is discipline. A church, to be a church, we must discipline those who need it. I think that's biblical. We're commanded to. It's for the, the person's own good. And I think to fail to do such is, is to say we know more than God. It's God's way of dealing with people who are wayward. And we don't know more than He does. He's omniscient, right? So we, we, why do we discipline? Because it's commanded, it's for the sinner's good. Thirdly, it's for the church's sake. Look at verse 6 through 8. Your boasting is not good. You do not know what a little leaven, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So it's for the church's sake as well, isn't it? Look at that. It says, do you not know? In verse 6, do you not know? This church in Corinth, they were erroneously thinking that being tolerant of this sin and looking the other way and not bringing it up, they're being helpful. But they're ignorant. Paul says, no, that's ignorance. Overlooking sin doesn't help the church. It destroys the church and it'll destroy it from the inside out. Again, the goal of church discipline is repentance. The goal is saving someone's life. But we also don't want to don't sin to metastasize, right, and affect others, kind of like a cancer cell will. You have cancer in one part of your body. What happens? If it's left, it'll, it'll spread, right? Failing to deal with sin is destructive to the church, just like that cell, that, that faulty cancer cell that metastasizes, right? So Paul demonstrates this by, I think he just refers to an Old Testament ritual which was fulfilled in Christ, but also has application for the New Testament saints. He's talking about the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. and Remember the, the Passover feast? Every, every household was required to rid their houses of leaven. And the reason is they're remembering how in haste they had to leave Egypt. The Israelites in Egypt, they had to get all their stuff together. They had to eat in haste because they were, they were, the last plague was occurring. The Passover, they took the Passover lamb and they put the blood over the doorpost. And every Israeli house that had the door of the doorpost, when God would pass through, that house would be passed over. But they had to, they had to leave quickly. And so after the Passover feast, they would have a, a celebration. It was a week-long celebration where there was no leaven in the house. Leaven is just yeast. No, no, no yeast in the house. You had to get rid of all the, the yeast. No leaven. And the Passover lamb, it's a prophetic foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus. And this leaven is a symbol of sin. That's why Paul sees it here. See, leaven, what happens given time, it permeates and influences the entire loaf. If you've made bread and you ladies made bread, you put a little yeast in it and it permeates the whole loaf so that it makes the, the loaf rise. And Paul likens the, the immoral brother who refused to repent to leaven. Just as leaven influences the whole loaf, the immoral person can influence and desecrate the body. 
And Paul is, is asking this church in light of the cross to, to really be who Christ died to make them. That was unleavened, that is holy. As believers, the leaven of sin is not welcome in our lives. We fight against sin. Do we sin? Yes, but we fight against it. And, and this feast lasted seven days, but for us who Christ died, we the fight's for a lifetime, isn't it? Until He takes us home. But believers are to be seek to be unleavened, to be holy, and the church is to be holy, to be set apart. And, and you have things, you know, all these incidences in the Bible where you have this rogue Israeli, like Achan in Joshua chapter 7, who brought harm to the entire nation. So this brother may bring harm to the church. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, we just studied that passage not too long ago. The church is to be salt and light. Christians are to be salt and light. If salt loses its saltiness, it is to be what? Thrown out, right? Yeah. Isn't it interesting that the world, the world draws its conclusions about God from who? The Bible? No, they don't read the Bible. The church, that's right. From the church. So, so to, when we discipline a wayward sinner, it's not only for their sake, but it is for the church's sake as well. Now look at verses 9, 9 through 13. Paul is not saying that, that we should isolate ourselves from the world. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And he goes on to say, not the people of the world, because you can't get rid of those folks. They're in the world. How are they to act? I don't know, but I have lost friends. I eat dinner, eat lunch, spend time, have people in our home that are lost, and they have crazy, terrible, sinful lives. Should I associate with those people? Yeah, I should. They're lost people. Lost people ain't lost. I love them. I want to share the gospel with them. I want to minister to them. But what if somebody in the church says they're a believer, but yet they have this immoral lifestyle that doesn't exemplify Christ, that brings reproach upon the name of Christ, that I don't have that person over. Case in point, I had a, somebody who, um, they were engaged and their fiance moved in and they were going to be engaged, they were going to be married like years later. And so I went to this brother who said, you know, he loved the Lord. And I said, man, you, that's not right. Why don't you get married? Or why don't you wait, um, move out? You know, and I said, hey, I, I got, you can live at my house. You need a place to stay. You need to live with me until y'all get married. You need to be, if you say you love the Lord, you need to honor the Lord in all things. And I said, do you love the Lord? Oh, yeah, I love the Lord. Do you love the church? Oh, yeah, you know, I love the church. Well, that doesn't, there's something to miss there, right? It doesn't line up. And so he he continued living this lifestyle. He wouldn't listen. Finally got where he'd see me, you know, where you, you're in Kroger and you're walking down the aisle and you see somebody turn around and go the other way, you know. I think he, just, he left his basket and he just flees, you know. He didn't want to see me. Well, he, he's going to get married. Whatever. A year or two later, he's going to get married. Get an invite to the wedding. I didn't go. It wasn't because I didn't love him. I didn't want him to be married. I'm like, I'm not going because I'm not supporting you because you're saying you're a brother, but you're living like I'm a lost person. I know lost, plenty of lost people who don't shack up before they get married. 
But here you are saying you're a believer and you love the Lord. I love the Lord. Oh, the Lord's awesome. But yet you, you're living like a non-believer. Now, if I had a friend who was lost, which have many, and they invite me to their wedding and they've lived like heathens, you know what? I go to their daggum wedding and happy to go because they're, they're not a believer. I don't expect them to live like a believer, right? So Paul's saying we handle these situations differently. We, we, we remove ourselves from this type of person who says they're a believer, but yet they live an immoral life. When you look at their life and it, it's, it's screaming, they're not a believer. They don't love God, right? They love sin. They love themselves. Last thing, why do we discipline wayward sinners? Because it's commanded, because it's for their sinners' own good so they'll live. It's for the church's sake. And, and lastly, to warn sinners of greater judgment come. Look at verse 13. Or verse 12 and 13. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Right? Those outside the church. Lost people are going to live like lost folks. Is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? We're to make judgment calls, aren't we, about sin in, inside the church? Like not being critical, not being critical. No, not being critical and harsh. But God judges, verse 13, God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. God judges those outside the church. I, I think by, by disciplining someone in the church, I think what happens is it's just a warning of greater judgment to come. We all blow it. We have clay feet, man. We struggle. I tell you, almost every Sunday, why are we here? Because we need to be here. We don't have it all together. We're all messed up. We're just sinners, just trying to honor the Lord, trying to obey Him, trying to follow Him, trying to help each other follow Him, right? Just like a bunch of cripples, right? Just helping each other. But for those who say they're believers, but yet their lives scream that they're lost, when we as a church love them, and we'll talk about how to do that next week. We love them, but we, we put them out of the church because of their, their sin. I think it's just a warning for them. Hey, this is just a little taste of what's to come. God judges those outside the church. And to have an indictment brought against a person, to be rebuked, to, to, to have their sin pointed out, is nothing compared to the judgment that's going to come on those who fail to persevere in their faith. And the whole goal is put them out while, so that Satan can have them and their flesh can be destroyed and they can see the air of their ways and see how terrible life is without Christ and without fellowship with the church. We remove our fellowship from them to allow them to see what that's like. But you know, judgment is coming. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And one day he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, those who love the Lord and those who don't. And that judgment's going to be severe, and, and that judgment will last for all eternity. What the church does, I think, is a little, just a, a little help in that regard. 1 John 2.19 those that go out from us, that we, we, those that we put out, if they don't return and they fail to repent, will show that they maybe they weren't one of us. 
1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might become plain that they are, they all are not of us. Speaking about application, how do we apply this? I think kind of leading into next week. I think first, firstly, if you're living a life that's um, you're living the life of an unbeliever, I would say repent because God is loving and wonderful. He wants you to know Him and Christ came to make that possible. Repent and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own that you could be saved and you could be born again and you could know Him and have a relationship with Him and have fellowship in the church. Man, isn't it wonderful when we take the Lord's Supper? I just love taking the Lord's Supper. I love it. It's just wonderful. We, we set our mind, our focus on Christ and what He did for us. Isn't it just a warm feel? You just love it. You're encouraged. You have to confess your sin. You know, you have to apologize to somebody and you have to confess it and make that right. And then you take the Lord's Supper and it's just like you leave. It's like, wow, man, I'm just empowered. I'm ready to, to, to obey the Lord again. But if you're not a believer, you can't, you can't experience that. Won't you repent? And trust Christ. That's application for you if you're if you're lost, if you never repented, is to, to repent and trust Christ. If you don't know how to do that, you're like, you keep talking about repentance. What does that mean exactly? I'd love to talk to you about that. There's a lot of folks in this room that would love to talk to you about that. What it means to repent and, and to trust Christ's work as your as your own. Secondly, I think as as a, a church, we, we must discipline those who are wayward. You know, it's part of our covenant, it's part of what we want to do as a church. I think to not point out sin and remove one from the church so that their flesh can be destroyed, so their soul can be saved, is to say we know more than God does. And God commands it. We have to obey the Lord. We need to do that. We just have to figure out how to do it rightly, as we'll talk about next week. And sometimes, you know, churches, we don't, we don't, I think churches don't discipline. And, and I would say, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'll just ask a rhetorical question. How many of you have been a part of a, a church that, administers church discipline that really points out sin and help try to help people uh, to repent. I, I would say very few of you would raise your hand. And the reason for that, I, I think, is, is several reasons. Firstly, I think we don't discipline because we don't want to cast the first stone, you know? How could I, a sinner, point out someone else's sin? I think that's an attitude. But, but also... You just don't want to seem unloving and maybe pharisaical, right? You say, well, that's not a very humble thing to do to point out someone's sin. No, it's a perfectly humble thing to do. And I'll prove it. Look at verse 2. And you're arrogant. Aren't you rather, aren't you not rather to mourn? Yeah, be broken, to be humble. Yeah, someone who's humble. That's the, that's the one who points out sin. You're humble and you're broken, you're broken over your own sin, you're broken over their sin, you point that out. That's what humble people do, humble churches do. But I think there's a misunderstanding. We think, well, I can't do that if I'm, I'll be self-righteous or holier than thou, but that's just not, not biblical. No, we are humble when we point out sin. We're broken, and we don't do it hastily. We don't do it readily. We don't do it because we want to. We do it because we're, we're scared for their soul. And we're scared that the church is going to be in, affected. Thirdly, remember the goal 
of church discipline is repentance. James 5, 19 through 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Boy, we want to be that kind of church that helps people. And lastly, study Matthew 18, 15 through 35 in preparation for next week and we'll see how we are to actually apply this to our lives and our church. How we do this at Beaver Baptist Church. How we help people in this regard. Give you something to do this week and study. It's a heavy thing we, we, when we think about church discipline. It's not something we look forward to, but it's something that is a necessity to be a biblical church. Time, from time to time we'll have someone who says they're a believer, someone that I'll recommend to, to the church. I'll bring someone in. After spending time with them, I'll recommend them to the church and, and ask you to accept them to be part of the church. But th there's, from time to time, there'll be people who will, who will say that they're believers and, and, and have a testimony and, and look like they love the Lord and then they begin to act like they don't love the Lord and they go wayward and they're obstinate and they're rebellious and they won't listen and they won't heed your counsel. And it brings reproach on the name of Christ and we have to, to act, unfortunately. So that's what we as a church need to do. Let's be in prayer about this and how we handle people who are wayward how can we do that rightly and biblically? And what does the Bible say? Let's be thinking and studying about that. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.